wrote like a lot of stuff down. But yeah. Okay. Whatever, whatever you want to do. Um. All right. So I wasn't originally going to join the Rocky Horror Group on campus. I knew what the movie was. It was definitely a favorite movie of mine from early high school, but I never had the intention of actually joining the club. To me, it seemed too far-fetched and like edgy, non-conformist. I've always kind of considered myself to be a non-conformist, but I think the idea of standing up on stage in nothing but lingerie kind of scared the shit out of me. That being said, I didn't have a whole lot of friends at the beginning of the school year, and the person at the Rocky Horror booth at First Look Fair, no joke, was the only person who talked to me that entire fair. Like, no one reached out to me ever, which was totally weird because I'm, like, standing in a group of people and everyone else is getting, like, yelled at to join their club and for some reason no one is reaching out, except for the people at the Rocky table, which was kind of scary at first because they are very loud and overbearing people. So I decided to go to an interest meeting and I landed the role of Magenta which was exciting, but also terrifying. Because although she's like, she's one of the less sexually crazy characters in the cast, she still requires you to like, go out on stage in your underwear and like a skimpy lacy nightgown and that's basically it. For me, my confidence levels are lower than most. I didn't really like, I was never a truly confident person, just like, in my own skin and also just like with people around me. So like the thought of having to go out on stage like this was like kind of terrifying. Um, but honestly, it was one of the best decisions, I guess, or best like, it helped increase my confidence most out of probably anything that I've ever done. I don't know, just feeling like that constant support of the people behind you and just like putting yourself out there and doing whatever it is that you want to do was like super, super helpful for me. <laughs> I wrote this down, it's kind of cheesy, but think of it this way. Most people, some of their most embarrassing dreams that they have is involving like forgetting an article of clothing in a public space. And I do that for fun now. <laughs> I'm almost done with my freshman year. It's like, what, last week is next week? That's terrifying. And I did, I stayed with it the entire year and it's been stressful at times, but I feel like immensely grateful that I got to be a part of it. Dr. Well, that's it. It's the end of the year, and you know what that means. No more episodes of The Dive, at least for the next couple of months. I know, I know, I'm upset too. Here, we can give you a few seconds to brush away that tear, and really take your time. Take as much time as you need. Really, no need to rush. We're not waiting. 
All right, well, this is our last episode, but that's not all the end of a school year means. As we all get ready to go home for the summer or start a new internship or, hey, work at Old Navy, we look back on the year and think, damn, I can't believe I didn't leave my bedroom again. Or, if you're cooler than that, you look back on the amazing experiences you've had, the great friends you've made, and, if you're lucky, how you've changed. And that's what this episode of The Dive is about, taking a look back and seeing where we're going from here. Just now, that was Taylor Stokes, and next we have stories from Anna Muckerman on her semester in the old world, and Michael Arrigo on his pop culture college experience. We hope you've enjoyed listening to The Dive this year, and we hope that you love this last one too. Thanks. study abroad tend to annoy the hell out of everyone else because when you ask them how their experience was, the only way they know how to describe it is with phrases like, oh my gosh, it was amazing. And it was just so life-changing. And in some ways I really get that because when I think about the four months that I spent in France, it was kind of like four years of amazing life-changing experiences wrapped up into one semester. But instead of telling you about all the good and the bad, I'll just pick one thing, and it's the French greeting custom of faire la bise, which literally means do the kiss. You're probably somewhat familiar with it because it's kind of like that thing you see in movies where posh New Yorkers go mwah, mwah. So great to see you, darling. In fact, that's not a Hollywood invention. It really stems from the French cultural custom of faring la bise, which is practiced to this day. In the part of France where I lived, you give one kiss on each side of the face, but in northern regions of the country, it's two kisses on each side of the face, which actually takes time and skill to get the choreography just right. And what's more, let's say you show up to a party and there's 15 friends of friends that you've never met before. In order to show that you're, I don't know, having a good time or that you're happy to have met them, you have to stand in a line and fair la bise, kiss each one of these people that you don't know on the cheek, which means that you're gonna give out 40 kisses before you even talk to anyone. Now, as an American, waiting in line to give people kisses is kind of weird, and it was pretty weird for me to get used to at first. Because in the US, we have hugs, we have handshakes, but sometimes we see people and we don't touch them at all. Can you imagine that? We just walk up to them, we say hi, and we don't have to put our body parts on their body parts. But with the French, if there's not at least cheek-to-cheek contact, you're just plain rude. I learned how to do this pretty quickly with the help of my colleagues at my internship. Every morning, 15 people would stop by my desk to give me kisses. 
Imagine, I haven't even logged into my computer or drank a cup of coffee and people I don't know are kissing me. And what's more, among the older generation, it's customary to actually plant your lips on the other person's cheek. We're talking 60-year-old men planting their lips on my face and on good days there was some saliva action. But I'll rest this point for now. One day I went out for dinner with a French friend who I wasn't going to see before leaving the country. And we had a really nice time, we talked, and at the end when it was time to say goodbye, I asked if I could give him a hug in kind of a, so I'm not going to see you for a really long time, can I give you a hug or something? And to my surprise, he turned all red and said, uh, no, I'd rather you not, I don't know you that well. And I was a little confused at first, until my other friend who was with me, who's also American, stepped in and said, Anna, to the French, it's kind of like you're asking can you rub your boobs on him. And my French friend nodded in agreement. Oh. And that brings me to the point that I'm trying to make about cultures. I endured four months of old men putting their lips on me. To Americans, lips are kind of personal, kind of sensitive. We do not put our lips on people that we have just met. But to the French, lips are just friendly. And in fact, giving a hug is like chest rubbing, boob bouncing, a totally too intimate way of saying, I don't know what, because they just don't do it. And I couldn't help but feeling like all the suffering I'm doing getting kissed by everyone and you can't just give me a little hug, but seeing as I was in their country, no one was having that. So when people ask me how France was, yes, it was amazing. Yes, it was life-changing. And it was a hell of a lot more kissing than I signed up for. That was Anna Muckerman. Next up is Michael Larigo on his favorite pieces of culture from his four years at Maryland. If you ask me to name my favorite movie, I won't. I can't. Oftentimes, when people ask, I just say The Fast and the Furious and laugh and hope to God that they realize I'm joking. When it comes to movies, or art of any kind really, I struggle to create lists or label favorites. That's partly because I've seen and read and listened to a lot. In the last four years, I've justified a soaring consumption rate by saying it's for my job at the Dimebag, and I will always be grateful to the Dimebag for providing me that excuse. So I've taken in a lot of art in my four years of college, and I loved so much of it. I loved a good documentary on a Thursday afternoon, a book on a Sunday night, an album on the Metro, podcasts and plays and binge-watching and all sorts of Kanye. I also loved the marketplace of recommendations that campus provided. Watch this, read this, you have to listen to this, have to. I remember showing my roommates and friends movies I had just discovered, praying that they don't get up from the couch when it was over and say, yo, that was terrible. And that happened more than once. It sounds funny, but you and I both know it's actually devastating. I love talking about all of this art too, spending an hour discussing the authenticity of lemonade or growing strangely animated at a party when some rando says that honestly, Anyone who claims Mad Max isn't the best movie of the year is just being contrarian. And yes, conversations like these are often awful, just reactionary and hyperbolic and weirdly personal, but I enjoyed them all the same. And seeing that I graduate in a few weeks, some of my art discussions have turned reflective. In one of them, someone asked me what my favorite pieces of art from the last four years were. 
pick four, they said, and I just couldn't. But I've been thinking about it since. I've been thinking about freshman year and Alfonso Cuaron's movie Gravity. The space set thriller has taken some flack in the time since its release, but remember that in October of 2013, it was a phenomenon. It had two big stars, a talented director, CGI was great, and people were flocking to the theater. Copy, explore, prep airlock. Airlock engaged, ready to receive. I saw it on my first weekend home. I had been at school for a little over a month, experiencing all of the excitement and fear and community and isolation that freshmen do. I was back for my little sister's birthday that Saturday, and I made a weekend of it. Friday night, my brother and I met a friend to see Gravity at Columbia Mall. I remember a lot about that night, because it was so completely normal. My parents were at a high school football game, I was at the movies, my sister was with some friends. It was a Friday in the fall. But it wasn't really. I knew that it wasn't my world anymore, that on Sunday night, I had to go back to school. Sunday night drives from my house back to College Park during freshman year always left me feeling a bit unmoored, like I was unsure whether I was traveling from home back to school or from my house back to home. Was the crowded, hot, disgusting confines of Okamako Hall really my base now? During gravity, though, I didn't have to think about that question yet. Instead, I sat in the dark of the theater next to my brother and watched as Sandra Bullock traveled through space alone, trying to find a way back to Earth. I think about The Sopranos, too. Sophomore year, I left Comico to live in Prince Frederick with three of my friends. When I think of that year, it's that show that comes to mind. In September, I decided to start watching it and told my roommates they should watch it as well. That way we could discuss it. And we all had our own schedules and interests, so there was only a few times we'd actually watch an episode together. But over the course of the year, we each worked our way through its six seasons at our own pace. It became this strange thing, a show from the early 2000s that, despite its popularity, nobody really talked about on a day-to-day -day basis anymore in 2015. I mean, they should've. David Chase's show is brilliant. It's nuanced, it's subtle, it remains ahead above most everything on TV today. It's a show about loyalty, community, respect, masculinity, all told within the confines of a very specific New Jersey suburb. How are you feeling now? Good. Fine. Back at work. What line of work are you in? Waste management consultant. Look, it's impossible for me to talk to a... So my friends and I, we'd talk about it all the time. Any thoughts it was a world we were all visiting, something we had in common. And in this era of binge-watching and TV streaming, that's what we look for, right? That's why we're doing it. A community of people watching the same thing. It's great. For us, that year, the community was four watchers large and it existed only in one corner of Prince Frederick Hall's sixth floor. Good to be in something I remain friends with all three of those roommates today, and sometimes, when one or two of us are together, someone will bring it up. Remember when Tony strangled that guy on a college visit? Remember that episode where the entire thing is just Polly and Christopher getting lost in the woods? Yeah, that one was great. When 
I think of my junior year, I think of reading. It's hard to read for fun in school, but that year I got a big internship, my classes got harder, I had a job, it was a bit hectic. So I would set aside some time to read, just to calm down a bit. I just didn't have anywhere I'd like to do it. Going into the year, I had wanted to move somewhere with a balcony or some kind of outdoor space, but we had ended up in commons. So when it was nice out, the only place I could sit and read was on the bench outside our building. It was metal and hard, and people walked by all the time, interrupting the quiet. I would get annoyed often. Like, I remember reading my favorite book of that year, a collection of short stories by Juno Diaz called This Is How You Lose Her. And this couple came and stood right next to my bench and had a long, in-depth conversation for like 30 minutes. I'm not even talking about on the pathway either. They were like on the grass, off to the side, right next to me, talking about some very real shit. I am still baffled by this whole thing, thinking about it now. Anyway, the only reason I don't mind that memory is because I loved that book. Diaz's writing was beautiful, and his stories covered themes like identity, culture, family dynamics, adult relationships. I remember sitting there, sifting through his stories, first in September, then October, often the late afternoon until the sun went down and a chill set in. The more I would go out there, I realized how nice it was despite the small irritations, to be away from the crowds of the mall or North Campus. And occasionally, I would see friends or coworkers walking by me on their way to the diner or back to Mohawk Garage. They would give me shit for reading, and I would give them shit for having to go to work. Sometimes, like that, it was fun. I mean, it was perfect. I mean, I remember seeing there, as a group of freshmen across the road played a raucous game of Can Jam, as my history professor walked by, and I gave him a weird half-wave. As business students hurried past in well-dressed packs as that couple sorted through their problems in public. So when I think of that book, I think of that bench. I think of sitting there, watching the sun, getting ready to set over my neighbors and I on South Campus. And then there's senior year. Now, it should be said that senior year brings with a new set of emotions, including a fresh view of the future. The world seems closer than ever before. You can almost reach out and touch it. In the midst of all this, uh, all this drama, all this worry, all this excitement, uh, we had a presidential election. And it was a weird one. Like, no matter your politics, that was a weird one. That was a weird week. I remember that Saturday, I was still a bit shaken. We had spent Wednesday and Thursday talking to students for this podcast, and their anger, their sadness, their fear, their realities were still rattling around in my head. I didn't really feel like doing anything, so my roommates and I stayed in to watch Saturday Night Live. I've been watching SNL since I was a kid, and I felt like that week, I needed it. I needed to have it come back to show that things, a lot of things, most things, were going to remain the same after the election. For a show that always had a lot of funny things to say, though, about politics, what were they going to say about this? What could they say to one half of the country that was still reeling? I don't know if you remember that episode, but it began with Kate McKinnon, dressed in full Hillary Clinton costume, sitting at a piano. Leonard Cohen had just died that week, and she sang his most famous song, Hallelujah. But you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lift, 
the baffled king composing hallelujah 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 i remember it ended and it was kind of silent in my apartment well, that was weird my roommate paul finally said and, and i remember saying like i don't know i i thought it was kind of beautiful right and looking back, it was. It was a moment. I mean, Dave Chappelle, That Night's Host, came out right afterward, and he extended that moment. He cemented the episode as Art's you know, first good I, response I to our new leader. Time. With an iconic opening so monologue, he did everything. He made jokes, you know, pretty good jokes. You know, uh, I didn't know that Donald Trump was going to win the election. I did suspect it. Seemed like Hillary was doing well in the polls, and yet, I know the whites. <laughs> you guys aren't as full of surprises as you used to be. And then he finished by getting serious. You know, before I go, I do want to say one thing. And this is not a joke, but I think it's important that I say this because they're marching up the street right now as we speak. And he was right. They were. People were ago, still marching a couple days later. Even as SNL was going on, SNL, this beacon of entertainment, an untouched institution, the world still turned seemingly a bit off its axis. It was a crazy week that week. I'll remember it for a long time, as will all of us. Tuesday night was wild, yes. It was a night of disbelief and anger and ranting and then a lot of questions. But as weird as it might sound, Saturday is my memory. I already know it. That is the 2016 election to me and it will be forever. The 2016 election is me, months away from graduating, in a dirty apartment, sprawled out on a couch with my roommates around me, some of my best friends, happy watching a show that I loved, still a bit unsure of what was beautiful and what was real. I've seen your flag on the marble arch, and love is not a victory march, it's a call and it's a broken hallelujah. So I guess that's four, right? Gravity, The Sopranos, This Is How You Lose Her, Chappelle's SNL. Is that an answer to the question, though? If you ask me to think of my favorite movie, I'll sift through genres and directors and classics and blockbusters before telling you that I got nothing. Ask me to name my top four, and what comes to mind is a drive from home to home, New Jersey, in a dorm room, the perfect bench for reading. A couple of laughs at the end of the world. You ask me to think of my four favorite pieces of art from college, I don't think about art at all.
that's it for our 10th and final episode of The Dive this year. It's also my last episode, so I just want to say before I go that I am extremely grateful to have been able to work on this podcast. It started last spring just as an idea that I was excited about, and I've had the help of so many talented people in actually making it happen. A special thanks to Patrick Basler and Danielle Ohl, who were integral to that process, and to all of our contributors from this year, especially Anna Muckerman and Taylor Stokes in this finale. An archive of all 10 episodes can be found on our SoundCloud page or at dbknews.com. The Dive will be back next fall with all new episodes. I know that I'll be listening, and I hope you will be too. I'm new.